0: It is good to be with you all this morning. It is really good. I feel like uh, Pastor Mike says that pretty much every time he gets up here. We all say it, but I really mean it. I really mean it. Not that he doesn't. Um, <laughs> that, that sounded wrong. Maybe he won't cut that out of the live stream there. Um, my name is Ty Combs. I am one of the Next Gen pastors here. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you'll remember that Ty Hill was here speaking. and uh, He said that the students here like to refer to him as Ty the Lesser. Do you guys remember that? Um, So yes, Ty and I have the same name. We have the same job title, next-gen pastor. So basically anybody under the age of 18 is kind of our domain. I lead fifth grade and up primarily. Ty Hilda's fourth grade and under, um, but we both are pastors for all next-gen. So we have the same name, same title. Our daughters are like the same age. Our sons are the same age. Uh, So the way the students differentiate is, yes, they call him Ty the Lesser, but I wanted to set the record straight because I've never once been called Ty the Greater, as you would maybe assume, but that would be just far too kind of our students to refer to me that way. So they call him Ty the Lesser, and they just kind of call me Old Ty, and now not like old as in like, oh, good old Ty, like, you know, he's, our, he's the old one, he's been here, like, just old Ty. And uh, I mean, Ty Hill's like six months older than me, so it's not even, it's not even accurate. But I didn't want to, you all to walk away with the impression that just because he's Ty the lesser, that does not mean that I'm Ty the greater, I'm just old Ty. Um, so yes, that's who I am, I love my job, um, a little bit about me, I have been here at Trinity for... Oh, I should have done the math before I got up here. Uh, Over eight years, I think. Um, I'm in my ninth year. Is that the right way to say that? Um, And I love, love, love my job um, in youth ministry. I also enjoy woodworking a lot on the side. And so um, what I would say to that is Jesus was two things. He was a carpenter, and he worked with a lot of young people. So I think Jesus was a carpenter and a youth pastor, so I'm just out here trying to be more Christ-like in everything that I do. Um, it's a work in progress. Uh, I have a picture of my family I wanted to show you all, not because it has anything to do with today's sermon, but I just wanted to brag that the three most beautiful people in the world live in my house. Uh, so if you see them, introduce yourselves. They primarily attend East Fisher's campus. That is Kelly, Eliza, and Ezra. Kelly is on staff here at Trinity also. She is our graphic designer, so she, everything that you see... That looks cool. She did. Uh, And I got to give her this credit. She doesn't just make things look pretty, because that's demeaning. She puts a lot of thought and effort into everything we do. So we are just so grateful to be a part of the team here at Trinity, and I love the opportunity to get up here and talk to you. Now, every time that I preach, um, not every time, but often when I preach, I tell stories of when I grew up working on a farm, and uh, the students talk about how every sermon illustration I give is from the farm, and uh, today's no different, so here we go. Um, I did grow up working on a very, very big farm. We had like several thousand um, head of cattle, several thousand hogs. I actually just learned uh, last year, my wife touched a cow for the first time in her whole life. Has anybody here never touched a cow? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, oh, it's okay. It's okay. My wife said that was the first time I've ever touched a cow. And I was like, I've probably touched 50,000 cows in my life. And uh, that's not bragging, it's not that cool. But um, (laughs) anyway, so I grew up on a big farm, lots of cows, lots of pigs, uh, and I loved working there. I worked there from age 13 for about 10 years until all through junior high, high school, and college, I worked at this big farm, and I loved it. I loved the work, we got to work on tractors, drive tractors, I got to ride four-wheelers all over the place and do all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, The work was fun most of the time. Um, But the real reason that I loved working where I did um, was not because of the work, but it was because of my boss. So my boss's name was Eric. He was an incredibly godly man. He taught me a lot about working, a lot about being a man, but he taught me a lot about God, um, probably without even meaning to or knowing that he was. So he... um, was a godly man and this farm was so big we had a lot of people that worked there. So I had a bunch of coworkers. And Eric was actually a full-time missionary um, that lived in the United States. What that means is about two weeks out of every month, he was overseas, and he would teach pastors in other countries both theology and farming techniques to help them be sustainable in their livelihood and as pastors. And all the while he paid high schoolers like me to run the farm back home. So he was a genius in how that operated. So Eric was a Christian, incredibly godly man. We had this big farm, and I worked with a bunch of other people. But just because the guy that owned it was a Christian didn't mean that the farm itself felt like a very godly place. It was kind of just a farm. In fact, a lot of people that I worked with were very unspiritual and ungodly people. And a lot of the uh, conversation and language that got used around the farm was very ungodly. So just because it was owned by a Christian guy didn't mean that the place itself felt spiritual or holy or even Christian at all. And uh, to be fair, high school Ty was kind of okay with that. I was kind of okay that work was work and church was church. Uh, And the two were a little bit separate. And that just made sense to me. Work is work, church is church, um, and that's just kind of how it worked. Uh, in my mind, Jesus didn't really belong at work. And that didn't, that didn't feel wrong necessarily, just kind of how, how it goes. So um, my boss, when I was uh, going into my senior year of high school, he surprised me with something. He said, time, I want you to come to work once a month this summer, June, July, August, I want you to come to work uh, well, he wanted me to come to work every day. But he said, once a month, I want you to come to work and not do anything. I want you to clock in, and I want you to spend an entire day with the Lord. I don't want you to work. I don't want you to do anything. Don't even wear your work clothes. I don't want you to talk to anybody. I just want you to clock in, spend a day with the Lord, clock out, go home. I will pay you to spend a day with Jesus. I could not have been more excited that I got to clock in and do nothing and clock out and go home. I was bragging to my friends. I was like, you're not gonna believe this. I promise this is true. My boss wants me to go to work and not work, but get paid. And so I had all these plans. I mean, I packed my guitar, I packed my fishing pole, I packed a pot so that I could cook some uh, lunch. I packed um, stuff to start a fire and the day came and it was, it was like one of the best days ever. Beautiful weather. I went down to the river. I was fishing. I played my guitar. I caught some crawdads in the creek and boiled them up. I had some old bay. Oh, man, it was, it was like the best day ever, and I was getting paid the whole time to do nothing, um, and so I was just living the best, the best work day I could remember having, and then towards the end of the day, it was like 4 o'clock, and uh, I started to feel a little bit guilty because I realized my boss did ask me to do one thing, and that was spend time with the Lord, and I hadn't thought about him the whole day. And so I did, in fact, take my Bible. So I took my Bible, and I was like, I got to I gotta do something. He's going to come back. He's going to ask me how it went. He's going to ask me if I heard anything from the Lord, and I'm going to, you know, I don't want to have to lie to this guy because he's paying me. He's an awesome guy. I don't want God to feel bad or to be mad at me. I don't want my boss to be mad at me. I got to at least, you know, say that I did it. So I take my truck, and I remember so clearly where I drove. I drove just to the back. I didn't want to be bothered, so I just drove to the back of the barn, uh, way back behind the hog barn by the, by the woods. You don't, you don't care. But I remember so clearly where I was, and I pulled down the of my truck, and I sat there, and I was like, all right, here we go. I pull out the Bible. I'll read some things to say that I did, you know, so that way it's not a full lie when I tell my boss it was an amazing day uh, with the Lord, um, so I started reading and I really, really wish I could tell you what I read. And I really wish I could tell you what the Lord said to me, but I don't remember any of it. But I remember spending maybe just thirty minutes of this whole day sitting on my tailgate, reading the Bible, and um, at first it was very uncomfortable. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know what I was supposed to be listening for or looking for. I just thought I'm supposed to read the Bible and it's supposed to be amazing. So I started reading nothing happened started reading nothing happened kept reading kept reading and then there was a moment where I kept reading and kept reading and at some point I looked up and it hit me that the Lord that Jesus was speaking to me again I don't remember what he said I wish so badly I remembered what he said or what I was reading Um, But I remember just so clearly I was reading, and I felt like the words of the Bible for the first time came alive. felt like they were active, felt like they were speaking to me. I wasn't just reading about a story. I felt like the words were speaking to me for the first time. And I remember looking up and realizing God is here. And I can't tell you how ordinary of a place I was on the farm, a place I'd been hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times, driven tractors over, walked over. I'd walked up and down that path so many times, but this time was different, and I looked up and realized, God is here. Now, at that point in my life, I had experienced God. Um, I'd been fortunate enough to grow up in a um, church, and I went to church camps, and I felt the presence of God there in very powerful ways, very real ways, Uh, but this one was, this was different Because this was the first time I experienced God in a place where I felt like He didn't really belong. So there I was in an ordinary place. I would never have considered this sacred ground before. In an ordinary place to an ordinary kid, God moved. So today we're going to look at the uh, story of how Jesus calls Simon, also known as Peter, the story that was read right up here a few minutes ago. Uh, we're going to be just kind of looking at that from a different angle. So I challenge you, if you've heard this story dozens, maybe even hundreds of times, I challenge you to uh, keep your ears and your heart open because I think that the Lord wants to say something fresh. Every time we open his word, and I believe this morning's no different, so I challenge you to... Uh, To set aside distractions, uh, whatever's going on in your mind, or maybe the person next to you, set it aside and just really, um, let's really look at what God has for us in his word this morning. So Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be, you can pull it up and read along, I'm not going to read all of it again, um, but I'll throw the references up there. So Luke chapter 5, this is very early in the book of Luke, considering Luke talks about the birth of Jesus, John the Baptist, the genealogy of Jesus, all that happens in Luke's like 1 through 3, so Luke 5 is very early. So what that means for us is Jesus has a reputation and a bit of a following, but nobody's really called him the Messiah yet. He's not really been called the Son of God yet. He's done a few uh, healings, you know, kind of like pseudo-miracle kind of type things, and people are starting to get curious about him. But he's not walking around proclaiming that he's the Son of God, Uh, and people aren't following him, saying, Surely the Messiah has come. People are just following him with a lot of questions. He's teaching a lot in synagogues, specifically in the town of Capernaum. So he's got a following. So Jesus one day is walking around, and uh, people start to follow him, maybe because they're just fully bought in, but probably more because they, have, they just want to see what it's all about. They want to see what all the hype is about. Is this guy for real? Uh, what's his teaching look like? What's it sound like? Is this something we really want to follow, or are we just going to go see it? So he's got this following of people, for whatever reason, are following him, And he's trying to teach them. He's trying to talk to them, and they can't hear each other. It's just kind of crowded. So he's going, and he sees a couple of boats on the shore of a lake, and uh, he sees what I would consider a biblical PA system. So he's just going to step on a boat, take the boat out a little bit from shore. That way he can talk to everybody all at once, maybe like this, Uh, talk to everybody all at once, and they can all hear him a little better. So he sees Simon cleaning his nets, Simon's been out fishing all night on the lake uh, with his partners, John and James and uh, some other people. He's cleaning his nets, and Jesus says, Simon, I'm going to get on your boat. Can you take me out just a few feet from shore? I need to teach these people They can't hear me. You got a boat. Will you take me? Peter obliges um, for whatever reason, but, but it is important to know that Simon would have known who Jesus was at this point. Jesus wasn't just this crazy random guy saying, hey, I'm going to get on your boat. You're going to take me for a ride. That would have been a little weird. But he knew who Jesus was. Because again, he'd been teaching around his town, his village. Peter knew the reputation that Jesus had. Um, So that's important to keep in mind as we go a little deeper into the story. So Jesus gets on the boat, takes it out to shore, out from shore a little bit, and he starts teaching to the people. And now um, I wonder if this is one of those instances where All right, so Jesus is on the boat. It looks like he's preaching to a big crowd of people on the shore. But I wonder if all the while Jesus is actually preaching to Simon, the one person on the boat right behind him. Because Jesus knows what's about to happen in the following few minutes. Peter has no idea. But Jesus is teaching a crowd, but he's probably doing a lot of preaching to Peter, even though he's faced the other way. Uh, so now, some things that are important to keep in mind about Peter is that Peter, uh, a lot of times we have this image that Peter and Simon and Peter, sorry, I should be calling him Simon because he's Simon at this point in the story. Uh, Jesus does change the name to Peter very soon, but at this point he's Simon. We oftentimes think of Peter or Simon as this kid with a fishing pole that's really bad at fishing because every time we hear about him fishing in the Bible, he doesn't catch anything. Um, <laughs> The context tells us that that's not the case every single day. In fact, Peter, we'll read in a little bit that Peter is married. Uh, Peter has business partners, James and John. Peter has some employees that go fishing with him. So don't think of Peter as a kid with a fishing pole. Think of Peter as a young, small business owner that is working really hard to provide for his family— And sometimes it goes really well, and sometimes it doesn't go very well. So imagine the stress that Peter has, a stressed-out young business owner uh, with a lot at stake every day that he goes to work. So Peter has been working all day. He's cleaning his nets. We read earlier that he didn't catch anything that day. Again, that probably wasn't a typical day. Uh, Probably a really, really, really bad day at work for Peter. He's probably cleaning his nets, just frustrated, didn't catch anything. Tired, exhausted from a long night at work, probably deflated and dreading going home and telling his family, sorry, I didn't catch anything today. We have no income today. Uh, probably just ready to go to bed. you ever had a day at work like that? Nothing went well. You just couldn't wait for the day to get over. The day just couldn't end quick enough. I imagine that's the kind of day Peter's having. He's cleaning his nets, and this guy, Jesus, gets on his boat, takes him out, and all the while, uh, Peter's listening Pretty closely. So Jesus finishes teaching the crowd. They all kind of disperse. Peter's probably like, okay, finally, I can get this guy off my boat. I can go home. I can get some rest. I can just end this terrible day. But Jesus turns to Peter. He says, Simon, turns to Simon, all right, Simon, why don't you throw your nets off the side of the boat? Again put yourself in Simon's shoes. You've just worked all night. You know the best time to catch fish is at night. You tried all night. You didn't catch anything. So Simon knew just how impossible it was to catch fish in this lake today, especially at this time of day. And he just cleaned his nets, probably the worst part of the day. So imagine you're Simon. Imagine you have one of those terrible days at work. You can't wait for it to get over. It's over. And then your boss says, try again. Like, but Simon, again, knew who Peter was, knew the reputation. He calls him Master in this verse, uh, verse 5. He calls him Master, um, and he says, Okay, Master, because you say so, I will throw my nets over, whatever. So he throws the nets over, and now I want you to just imagine. Put, close your eyes with me. Imagine you're Peter, you're Simon, on the boat that you fished from thousands of times, in a lake that you've fished in thousands of times, you know just how impossible it is to catch fish today, and then I want you to imagine you pull up those nets and you see not just a couple of fish, but you see more fish in the nets than you've ever seen in your life. What goes through your mind? What goes through Simon's mind when he pulls in all of those fish? Now, Simon was a Jewish, Jewish man, so he knew stories. He knew the Old Testament stories. He knew um, all too well the stories of Moses wandering in the wilderness. So he knew stories like of God providing food for his ancestors as they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. He knew the stories of manna falling from the sky. So, so Simon had a reference point in his mind somewhere that God provides food for his people when they need it, but Simon knew those stories from the synagogue. So you can throw this up there. Simon knew the stories of manna miraculously appearing to his ancestors because he had heard them in the synagogue. But in this story, Simon's not in a synagogue. Simon's at work on his boat that he's been on thousands of times, on a lake that he's been on thousands of times, an incredibly ordinary place And here Simon sees firsthand. He doesn't just hear stories of manna falling from the sky hundreds of years ago. He sees firsthand. And I wonder what goes through his mind. I wonder if his thoughts sounded a little bit like this. Only God. Only God. So there on Simon's boat, an incredibly ordinary place. Simon, an incredibly ordinary guy with the stresses of life and work. In an ordinary place, to an ordinary guy, God moved. Uh, So then after the miraculous catch, um, Peter actually calls him Lord. So before he says, Master, I will throw my nets over, uh, and then when he reels them in, he says, Lord, I am sinful. And just even looking at the the Greek use of those words, master versus Lord, sound pretty similar to us, but master basically means uh, a sign of respect. I understand that you have some authority, whereas Lord is, you have absolute ownership rights over this place. Uh, So we see that shift happen in that ordinary place to an ordinary person. All right, so now, the Bible, the Bible is amazing. We can probably agree with that in this room, but... um, The the harder you look at it, the more you will be amazed. And uh, so in Luke chapter 5, the first few verses, we have a story. And then towards the end of Luke chapter 5, we have another story. And they seem like they're totally different stories, somewhat maybe related because they're in the same chapter. Um, But these are what we call parallels, where there's two stories separated by a little bit, but they are the exact same story. They just look a little different and have some different people's names in them. So we're going to look at the other one, Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through thirty. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All right, so now let's look at Levi for a minute. Levi is a tax collector, which means Levi has close to zero friends. Um, Basically what that means is Levi is a Jewish person. He's in Judea. He's in Capernaum in this instance. He is a Jewish person. He grew up Jewish. But now he's employed by Rome the people that give subtle oppression to the Jews. So basically, Levi is an outsider no matter where he goes. To his own people, the Jewish people, his faith, his family, he's he belongs to the opposition because he works for Rome. But then to Rome, the people that he works for, he's still just a Jewish guy that's meant to be locked in the corner of Judea and like, don't, don't talk to us, don't bother us, just give us some money. And Levi, the only way that he gets paid is what? Extra taxes he collects, and everybody knows this. So, he's got this reputation of he works for the opposition and he steals our money. Who would want to be friends with a guy like that? Me either. So, Levi has this reputation of being wealthy, but he doesn't have a lot of friends. Uh, He doesn't have probably hardly any influence over anybody. Uh, He probably isn't ever invited to a lot of stuff. He's probably not feeling wanted. Uh, or purposeful in his daily life and his work. So Levi is this guy sitting at his tax booth, um, a place he sat thousands of times, and Jesus walks up to him and he says two words. He says, follow me. And now it's easy to read this and be like, wow, Levi really hated his job. Because he left just right there on the spot after two words. But it is important to remember that Levi also would have known who Jesus was, would have heard some of the stories, the reputation, uh, some of the rumors and things. So, So Levi had an idea of who this guy was. So when he says, follow me, that isn't Levi saying, finally, I get to quit my job. That's Levi saying, this is somebody with some authority, and he wants me. So Levi is so overjoyed that this man with such a reputation has chosen him and Levi's not used to being chosen. Somebody has finally chosen him that Levi's so excited he throws a party at his house. He invites the only friends he does have which are his co-workers, his other tax collectors. They come to, the, they come to his house and he throws a party and Jesus is the guest of honor at Levi's house at this probably pretty grand party because there was a lot of wealthy people there. Uh, and now... What Jesus says at the end to the Pharisees when he says, um, I have not come for the, for the healthy, it's the sick that need a doctor. Uh, I have not come for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. We've heard that before, and it's a really beautiful sentence, but just put yourself in the shoes of Levi. You invite this guy to your house, you throw a great big party, and then he's outside talking to the religious leaders of your community, like these you know important people, And he just kind of calls you out. He says, yeah, I've come because it's the sick that need a doctor. I've come to hang out with sinners. I don't know about you guys, but I would feel... Jesus, you mean to tell me, you came up to my work, you chose me, I invite you to my house, and now, now you go around in my house criticizing me to the religious leaders, the people that have authority in my community. Would anybody here feel a little bit offended If Jesus comes and says, yeah, I've actually come to hang out with some of the worst people in your community. Thanks for having me over, Levi. Um, But man, Levi seems to respond the way that we all probably wish we could. And Levi says, yeah, I, I am sick. I am a sinner. And not only have I found somebody that can make me well, I found the doctor. And not only have I found him, but he chose me by name. So Levi probably lived his whole life not ever feeling wanted or chosen. But again, Levi was a Jewish person, so he knew the stories from the synagogues. He knew how God chose Abraham. He knew how God chose Jacob. He knew the story of how God chose King David. Uh, He knew the stories of how God chose people, but he probably only ever heard them in a synagogue. you can throw that up there. Levi knew the stories of God choosing people like Abraham, Jacob, and David. Levi heard those stories in a synagogue, but Levi wasn't at work at synagogue. Levi was at work and at his house. For the first time in a long time, at his place of work and in his own home, Levi felt chosen. So there at his tax collecting booth, place he'd been thousands of times, in his home, both incredibly ordinary places to Levi, who's an ordinary guy. God moved. Now I want to jump back to uh, Simon for a minute. There's one more story uh, that kind of encapsulates all this that. Um, often gets kind of looked over in this. So it's actually in Luke chapter 4, which is slightly before Luke 5, obviously, um, for those of you keeping track at home. Uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, some gospels put it right after, some put it right before the miraculous catch, the boat, that whole scene. But it's right around the same time. So you can throw this up there. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. That's how we know Simon was married, because he had a mother-in-law. And they asked Jesus to help her. So Jesus bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Later on, it goes on to say that he healed them until the sunrise. This is a huge factor in Simon's life. So not only is he a small business owner that's having bad days at work and not providing for his family, then he gets to go home and relax, Right? wrong. His wife's mother is incredibly sick in his own home. Like, imagine the stress that Simon probably felt day to day. So Simon goes back to his house, invites Jesus into his home, a place he'd been thousands of times without any regard for God, and miracles happen in Simon's living room time after time after time after time. Again, Simon knew the stories, we talked uh, a few weeks ago, the story of Naaman being healed in the river. Simon knew stories like that, how God could heal people physically. Simon knew the stories of Naaman being healed because Simon had heard those stories in a synagogue, but Simon wasn't in a synagogue. He was at home. So there, again, ordinary place, er, Simon's house, to ordinary people, God moved. Now I want to kind of show how these two parallels are are the same story with just subtle differences. So Peter Simon is a young business owner that's not very influential, that's got a lot of stresses day-to-day. Levi is a tax collector with not a lot of influence, with a lot of stresses day-to-day. Those are pretty much the only differences in these two stories. They both knew Jesus knew who he was. They both knew a lot of his teachings and things that he had done. Uh, They both knew stories of how God moved in the Old Testament of providing food in the wilderness, of choosing Abraham, of healing people like Naaman. They both knew what God could do. um, And now, they both have experienced God in in the form of Jesus. They both have experienced Jesus invade their ordinary places, and make them sacred. And each of them, after Jesus invades their, their ordinary places, they each choose to follow Jesus, and it changes their life. These moments in these ordinary places to ordinary people, these are the pivotal moments that change the lives of Simon and Levi. Never again would Jesus just be a guy that spoke at the synagogues. He was personal. He saw both Simon and Levi. He showed up at their work, and he showed up in their homes. Jesus wanted to be in every single aspect of their lives if they were willing to say yes. In short, what Jesus did is Jesus removed the walls that separated the sacred places and the secular places in their lives. Pastor and author Wade Tremor says this, There is no word for spiritual in the Hebrew Old Testament. Why? Is it because they were not a spiritual people? The reason is because in the Hebrew worldview, everything was spiritual. There was no need to distinguish between spiritual and sacred in the secular because no part of their existence was secular. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to wrap up here um, in a minute. But I want to take you back. So there I am. High school tie. Sitting on the tailgate of my truck ordinary place behind a nasty hog barn the most ordinary ungodly place I could think of so there I am ordinary place and for the first time I felt God move in a place I never expected God had moved in my life I had seen him and I'd heard stories of him moving in sacred places you know this is holy ground um But this was, this truly changed the trajectory for my life because I feel this was the moment where Jesus said, I'm not just somebody that you learn about at church, I'm somebody to be with everywhere. I'm with you every place you step your foot. I'm with you every place you lay your head. I want to be in every single aspect of your life. So the question I want to ask you all today is um, where are the places in your life, maybe it's, it's work or school or home, uh, where are the places in your life that you feel are just unspiritual or secular? And not, not necessarily dark or ungodly or you know, sinful. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking for those necessarily. Um, but just are there places in your life where you never expect God to show up? Maybe it's not a physical place. Maybe it's a headspace. Maybe you feel like, yeah, everywhere I go, I consider God unless I think about this one relationship, unless I start talking about this one thing that happened to me years ago. I don't know if it's a physical place or maybe it's a head space for you, but think of a place in your life where you just never expect God to show up. And I want to ask the question, are you oddly okay with it? Are you oddly okay with there being some walls built up? If somebody were to ask you, of course you would want those walls to come down. You want God to invade every place of your life. But you're kind of okay if it doesn't happen yet. God is not restricted only to the places we see as sacred. God is not restricted only to the places we see as sacred. You know, I think a lot of us in the room would probably agree with that and nod our head, but I'll say it's one thing to agree with it at church on a Sunday morning, but it's another thing to agree with it on a Thursday at work, on a Friday night with your friends. God is not restricted only to the places we see as sacred. Charles Spurgeon says this, "...to a man who lives unto God, nothing is secular, everything is sacred." He puts on his workday garment and it is a vestment to him. He sits down to his meal and it is a sacrament. He goes forth to his labor and therein exercises the office of the priesthood. His breath is incense and his life is a sacrifice. To draw a hard and fast line and say this is sacred and this is secular is to my mind diametrically opposed to the teaching of Christ and the spirit of the gospel. When God moves in places we expect him to, it is powerful. I 'm not saying that it's not powerful when God moves in church or at camps or at trips when God moves in places we expect him it is powerful however when God moves in places we never expected it is life-changing look through the the entire Bible is full of these Bethel where there's a monument built uh, and and uh, where Jacob sees a vision for the nation. Of Israel, the burning bush where God calls an ordinary person, Moses, to lead his people, and how that transforms this nation of Israel. Mount Sinai, where God spoke to Moses, and we get the law of God, we get to meet the character of God. Simon's boat, the most ordinary place in Simon's life, and he performs a miracle that changes Simon's life. Levi's tax collector booth, his workplace, he sat at that desk thousands of days in a row, and God moved in a powerful way, and that is what changed Levi's life. Not going to the synagogue, but seeing Jesus in the most ordinary places in his life and allowing him to change it. Now, we must remember that Jesus does not often invade these places in an aggressive way. He just didn't barge onto Peter's boat, rip the nets out of his hand, throw them over and say, look what I can do. Jesus said, Simon, I want you to, why don't you throw those over? And it took obedience For Simon, even though he had every reason not to, it took obedience for Simon to say, because you said so, I will do it. He didn't go to Levi's tax booth and flip his desk over and pull him by the collar and say, throw me a party. He said, will you follow me? And Levi took steps of obedience and said, yes, I'll follow you. And not just will I follow you, but I'll celebrate that I'm following you. So if you... Feel like you have some walls in your life that separate sacred places and keep some secular places a little bit protected. And if you're asked, would you want those walls to come down? And your answer is yes, but I don't want to be the one to pull them down. Jesus isn't going to just be like the Kool Aid Man and come barge down the walls. It takes a little bit of faithful obedience for us to say yes to the ways that Jesus is asking can I tear these walls down for you can I remove the walls lots of people know Jesus lots of people in the world know who Jesus is knew of his teachings I knew of it in high school Simon knew of it when he was at work Levi knew of it when he was collecting taxes a lot of people know Jesus even fewer know him personally even fewer than that have experienced him in a sacred place. But when you look at the lives of Levi and Simon, and I can say from my own testimony, when you know Jesus personally in ordinary places, it changes everything. It changes everything. So I want you to pull out your Next Steps cards. I want everybody to pull these out. And I have um, a couple of questions I'm going to ask you with. But the, the thing, if you don't remember anything else from this, I want you to remember is that Jesus so desperately wants to destroy the barriers that divide the secular and sacred places in your life he destroyed those barriers for simon he destroyed those barriers for levi by showing up in ordinary places and he wants to show up in your ordinary places too and he wants to because he loves you He wants to show up every single place that you are because he wants to be every single place that you are because he loves you and he died for you and he wants you to feel that and remember that every single place that you go. So I'm going to leave you with two questions for your Next Steps cards. I want everybody to write these down. The first one is, have you ever experienced a move of God in an ordinary place? I want to... We want to read those. We want to celebrate those, and we want you to recollect what that's like um, and how life-changing those moments may have been in your life already. Has this happened to you? Have you experienced God in an ordinary place? The second one is I want you to identify a place in your life. Again, maybe it's a physical place like work or your desk or home um, or school. Identify a place, or maybe it's a headspace when you think about blank, Name a place in your life that feels purely secular, where you do not ever expect a move of God and you might be oddly comfortable with that. What can you do to remove the walls and let that place even become sacred ground? I'm gonna give you a few minutes uh, to write on your Next Steps cards. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital Next Steps card at EncounterTrinity.com slash Steps.